Well, that was a three for tonight. <laughs> Having all kinds of music here. Anybody else want to sing one? We've got some, we've got some uh, good singers. That's great. Well, I've been thinking about a lot of different things this afternoon. Our building is coming along. Where's Jim? I know Jim's here. Where's Jim? This Jim. Not that Jim. That Jim. Uh, Jim, when, when are the windows going in? The first of the month. All right. Well, it's really coming along. I don't know if you've been out and had the tour yet, but you can see all over town from up there on the third floor. All we're going to need is a telescope, and we'll be able to see anything. Well, I'm so glad that you're here tonight. This is a great Sunday night crowd. Glad you're here. We had a good crowd this morning. These are exciting days in, in the life of uh, our church. We're uh, doing some interesting things. We're trying to get together some, some more classes. When we open this building, we want to be ready on the first day. And some folks have said that they uh, would teach, so that's good. We're going to have a number of classes down at that end, and we're going to have a whole bunch of classes on that end. We're going to have refreshments on that end, and we're going to have refreshments on the second floor on this end. Uh, it's really going to be something. Uh, it's uh, just right around the corner, too. I'm hoping and praying that uh, uh, we'll have all of the rooms occupied right from the very first. Uh, it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful experience as we reach out and touch more and more and more people. Uh, for the Lord Jesus. If you have your Bible, we're going to pick up where we left off this morning. Uh, we're in Matthew 12, beginning in verse uh, 43. We're going to uh, look at about four or five verses together, and then leave your Bibles open as we go through. You know, it helps us to learn if we have something that we can look at, uh, you know, if we hear it and see it. Uh, if we can kind of make the picture of what's in the words in our mind, uh, then we really retain it for a lot longer time. Now when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits, more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the last state that man comes becomes worse than his first. That is the way it will also be with this evil generation. It's very interesting to me that in recent years we have had things going in two directions. We have the the middle group of people that are pretty much like they have always been, but it seems like uh, there is a growing group of people that are becoming much more spiritual. Uh, it's very interesting. We've had a lot of different people visiting our church that are really uh, Bible scholars. Uh, I don't agree with all that they say, but... Uh, they have studied the scripture a lot, I'll tell you that. Uh, there was a fellow sitting right over here in this section this morning, 
that uh, spends about five or six hours a day, every day, studying the Word of God. Last Sunday, we had a man and his wife that sat right in there where Dr. Clore is, and they uh, study the Bible for five or six uh, hours every day. Uh, We've had some folks that have been visiting with us that uh, really do know the Word, and that's exciting. If I can bring them in on one or two points, uh, then maybe we can get them lined up on uh, what we're trying to do. Well, we have had some folks that are becoming much, much more spiritual, much more attuned to studying the Word of God daily for massive amounts of time. They have an interest in morality, an interest in ethics. Uh, They're very interested in our uh, political uh, stands in the country today. They're trying to influence our politicians more perhaps than ever before. Can you believe how many people are running for president? (laughs) I mean, it is just unbelievable. Uh, I think... I think there's five on the Democratic side, and I don't know the latest count on the Republican side. Is it 18 or 17? It's, oh, it's more than that. Some have jumped in. Uh, I mean, there's just a whole pile of them. This is going to be an interesting year. Uh, a lot of people are trying to bring our nation back to the morals and the uh, ethics Uh, stances that uh, are Christian, that uh, our nation has taken down through the years, and that's good. We have started, as Brother Ed mentioned, a prayer meeting on uh, uh, Sunday, uh, on Monday morning, 11 o'clock, down in the fellowship hall, and uh, a, a number of folks come. We pray together for an hour, asking God to bring a revival across our land. And, and we're not the only group that's doing that. There are groups all over the country that are doing it. The groups are growing. There's becoming more and more and more of them. Well, that's one end of the spectrum. On the other end of the spectrum, uh, we're having more scandals than we have ever had in our country. We're having all this insider trading. Uh, we're having bankrupt uh, companies that are trying to get out with not paying off their debts and their dues. We have more immorality today. Uh, You know, for years I was in single adult work, and I always try and keep an ear to what's going on in the the single adult world. I read uh, magazines and what. Today, and I I don't mean this in a joking way, today, uh, by the second or third date, Uh, people are going to bed together. You know, they used to uh, wait a little longer than that. Uh, Nowadays, it's, uh, if not the first, then it's certainly the second or third. And uh, our our country is losing the moral fiber that it has had in years gone by. Uh, We have all kinds of diseases that are being uh, spread uh, throughout our community. We have more car thefts than we've ever had. We have more home burglaries than we've ever had. 
We have this uh, identity theft which is going on in our country, which is unbelievable to me. You can just be walking through a restaurant and somebody can steal all of your information off of your credit cards. Uh, we are having all kinds of terrible things going on at the same time that there's a search for a much deeper stance spiritually. Well, all of this is going on uh, at the same time. As we think about it, uh, some evangelicals are becoming uh, active in the preaching world, uh, efforts to promote uh, certain uh, customs and to rule out certain uh, ways of thinking and practices that are evil, uh, ranging from civil rights to capital punishment to abortion to divorce, all of these things. Uh, more and more and more of the uh, TV preachers and radio preachers, they're honing in on those things. Some evangelicals uh, have become uh, very, very big in the patriotism area. I mean, it's red, white, and blue all the way. And uh, some have gone, it seems, maybe a bit overboard uh, in that arena, uh, trying to pull America back to a spiritual center. Christians cannot but be concerned about the moral and ethical issues of our day because God's word is unequivocal and it is unmatched in its standards of righteous living. Uh, justice, social responsibility. These are important things in our day. Scripture makes it clear that morality by itself uh, without a right relationship to God is in many ways dangerous. Now you say, preacher, explain that. Well, the Pharisees were very moral. They were very, very moral. Uh, they had more laws about what they were supposed to do and how they were supposed to act and what they were supposed to think. Uh, certainly no Gentiles were into that, but boy, the Pharisees were and the scribes were. They were committed to such rigid standards of religion, morality, ethics, daily living. They lived by a complex code. Almost every area of their life, every single area of their life, uh, they were told how to do it in these traditions that they were passing down. How many steps they could take doing a certain thing on the Sabbath how to wash their hands. There were whole books written about how to wash your hands, uh, how to go through ceremonial cleansing, all kinds of things. Uh, those were man-made standards. And those man-made standards had led them further and further away from God. Uh, they were so self-righteous that when God himself came along, they rejected him. They vilified him. And eventually, that very group crucified him. Very moral, but wrong on all the major points of theology, of religion, of relationship with our Lord. Under the illusion of their own goodness, they became unreachable. 
by the saving message of Christ. Uh, That message never got to them, never got to their heads, never got to their hearts. When Jesus came preaching deliverance from sin, they weren't interested in that at all because they didn't think they had any sin. They said, we don't do any of that stuff that you're preaching about. We don't do any of that. We're not involved in sin in any way or fashion. They thought they were absolutely perfect. When Jesus declared that their self-righteousness was, in fact, the most insidious form of unrighteousness, they just became unglued. And that's when they began having those meetings all over Israel about how are we going to get this guy killed. We need him killed. He's saying all the wrong things. And that was the plan. That's what they were about. Jesus had little trouble reaching the prostitutes, the thieves, the extortioners, the murderers, the outcasts of society. They would hear the gospel. Many of them would respond and be saved. But the religious leaders, They were moving farther and farther away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Because they refused to recognize their sin, they recognized no need at all for a Savior. Why do we need a Savior? We don't need to be saved from anything. We're perfect. You know, there are a lot of people today that think that. A lot of people that maybe you work with, a lot of people that live on your street, they think because they don't do one, two, and three that they are perfect, that they have no sin in their life whatsoever, and they really uh, don't need to worry about anything uh, religiously because they think that they are perfect. Their strict standards of morality gave the illusion in that day of safety and prevented them from seeing that trust in themselves was their greatest spiritual danger, a massive barrier between them and Almighty God. There's never been a group of men more committed to a demanding religious and moral code than the Pharisees, and there has never been a group of men that had been farther away from God. Isn't that amazing? I mean, you think about that. That is amazing. There is nothing God can do for the person who, like the Pharisee and Jesus' parable, stood up and says, Ooh, I'm glad I'm not like the extortioners over there. I'm glad I'm not like the liars over there. I'm glad I'm not like the adulterers over there. I'm glad I'm not like the... Uh, home uh, burglars over there. And, and they would just stand and look around and say, Whoa, I'm glad I'm not like all those people. I'm glad I'm above them. I'm glad I'm beyond them. I'm glad I'm more righteous than they are. Jesus really did not reach those people. The people with that attitude never turned to him. They hated him. They wanted him dead. In his own eyes, he is already right with God, and they need nothing from God. That was the attitude of the Pharisees. But God can do a great deal with the person who, like the tax gatherer, said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. He said that. It was obvious that the Lord could work a mighty thing in his heart. 
In Matthew 12, 43 through 50, the text that we're looking at tonight, it presents another of Jesus' warnings to the people. Their need was not for an outward reformation. It was for an inner need that they had, that they needed to have a change of heart, a change of soul. That was what was so very important. They needed to gain a right relationship to God the Father by trusting and believing in God the Son. Now, in the parable that I read, uh, Jesus vividly, frighteningly pictures the consequence of religious and moral reformation apart from any ties to him. The main character in this illustration that Jesus gives is an unclean spirit whose specific evil characteristics we don't know. Uh, That's not uh, told in the story. He's a demon. He is a fallen angel. He is a member of Satan's crew, Satan's staff, uh, Satan's followers. He is an evil co-worker with Satan. Uh, We're not told by what means this unclean spirit came out of the man, It may be that the man made a moral decision. He said, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore, and I'm not going to do that anymore, and I'm not going to do that anymore, and I want to be closer to God. And through that kind of a stand, that kind of a commitment, this evil spirit uh, left him and no longer had control over him. For whatever reason or by whatever means, the man was temporarily freed from the demon's presence and influence. After the man uh, was free of the demon, the demon passed through, the scripture says, waterless places, seeking rest, and did not find it. Now, being spirits, demons do not need food and water like human beings do. And therefore, waterless places were figurative, represented by desolation, barrenness, and extreme discomfort. That's all the Spirit could find. From this and many other passages in the New Testament, it seems evidence that demons prefer to live inside people than anything else. Uh, I hate to say this, but uh, secondarily, uh, besides human, they like animals next best. Uh, You know, a lot of us have a dog or a cat or many dogs or many cats, and uh, we just can't imagine anything like that, a demon being in an animal that we know and love. You know, I have heard stories from missionaries over the years of my life where they have just told unbelievable things about demons not only being in the people where they're serving, but also in the animals uh, where they're serving. It was most at home in a human being because it is through the human being that Satan and his demons could do the most destructive work against God. That's what they liked the most. When it could find no other satisfactory place to to dwell, the demon decided to go back to its former residence. It says, I will return to my house from which I have come. Uh, When it returned, it found the house was unoccupied. 
It was swept. It was put in order. The first spirit took along with it seven other spirits that were more wicked than he was. And they went in and lived there inside this man. The man's house was unoccupied. By that it means there were no other demons there. It was swept. It was put in order. This suggests that a genuine moral reformation had taken place in this man's life. Through fear of imprisonment or disease or social stigma or financial ruin, many other motivations, a person can manage to get themselves away from being occupied by demons, by evil spirits. Sometimes the motive is more positive. Sometimes it's because you love your wife so much or you love your husband so much or you love your children so much that you want to get rid of this evil spirit. Well, by such self-cleansing, no matter uh, how thorough and extensive, no matter how or what the motivation, it is never permanent. If it's a decision that you make, that doesn't cleanse you permanently from having demons, evil spirits in your life. Even if the cleansing is by the Lord, it is not permanent unless it is occupied by the person trusting in Christ and claiming Christ as Lord and Savior. If they do that, then obviously the demons can't come in. Of the ten lepers, you remember Jesus cleansed them? You remember the percentage of those that came back? One. One of the ten came back because of the wholeness of salvation in his life. When the basic sin nature is not dealt with through the miracle of repentance and trust in Christ, the removal of a particular sin or even a particular demon leaves a spiritual house unoccupied, swept and put in order. But it is subject to the reoccupation of seven other spirits, even more wicked than the first one. To live, the verb here in the Greek, uh, means to take up residence, to stay for a while, to live there. This is the idea of dwelling, settling down. It is the same verb that Paul used in the book of Ephesians, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It, the, the word there is the same meaning as this word that means to live there, to dwell there, to stay with you, to occupy permanently. One of the worst aspects of religious legalism is that it tends to get progressively worse generation after generation. I don't want you to raise your hand or anything, but do you know some families where the parents were all screwed up religiously? And guess what? The kids became just like them. The kids picked up on all the weird stuff, all the wrong stuff, all the bad stuff, and the kids wanted to outshine their parents, and so they became even worse than their parents. Uh, they wanted to really shine, really be bad. And so that's uh, what they did. A person who is disciplined, discipled 
into legalism often becomes more zealous and more self-righteous than the person that taught them in the first place. To preach morality, even according to biblical standards of behavior, but not salvation through Christ, can really help a person to move farther away from the Lord. You know, we have to do more than just teach morality. We have to get Christ into the heart and the life of the individual. It is much easier to reach someone who is overwhelmed by a true sense of sin in their life than someone who is overwhelmed by a false sense of his or her righteousness. You just can't reach them. They think there's nothing wrong with them. This is what Jesus meant when he said, I did not come to work with the righteous, to call the righteous. I came to work with, to call sinners. Matthew 9, 11, 9, 13. And that's what he did. He didn't come and work over and over and over with these folks that were so self-righteous, they thought not one single thing was wrong with them. He went to the sinners, and he had a great work, as you know, with them. It was not the immoral and the irreligious people of Israel who put Jesus to death. It wasn't uh, the prostitutes and the thieves. and all. It, it wasn't a grouping of the bad guys that put Jesus to death. You know who it was. It was the people at the top of the pile of religious tradition, the people that were supposedly the most religious people in the whole country. They're the ones that killed our Savior. Christ could not reach them because they thought they had no need whatsoever for any kind of spiritual help. Jesus' parable applied to Israel as a nation, this evil generation that's in our text tonight, as well as to individual Jews. As I mentioned this morning, during the Babylonian captivity, the Jews learned that they shouldn't be worshiping idols that were made with their own hands. They shouldn't be working uh, and worshiping something that was made of wood or stone or some kind of metal. They weren't supposed to do that. For more than 2,000 years since that, they have never gone back to worshiping those kind of idols. But they have, they have uh, come to the point where they are satisfied with the reformation of the intentions of the law. They're very satisfied with that. They love the traditions that they have. And they claim those but they don't claim Christ. They love the orthodoxy of the traditions, the rules that are laid out. You know, do this, don't do that, do this, be this, don't be that. But there's never in there a formula for trusting and believing in Christ as their Lord. There's a lot of ceremony there's a lot of traditions, there's a lot of bells and whistles, but they see no need 
for a Savior. Whether in the broad range of history or in the individual life, the same principle applies. Outer Reformation without inner transformation brings susceptibility to an even worse evil than you have ever known before. It gets worse if you don't come to Christ. There might be somebody in our service tonight that's having a hard time. You know, every time I stand to preach, I think to myself, well, I hope I'm talking to somebody that this really means something to them. Maybe there's someone in the house tonight that's on the wrong road, and you know it. It's on the wrong path, and you know it. You perhaps have trusted in Christ 20, 30, 50 years ago, but somewhere along the line you've gotten on the wrong road. You've gotten on a, on a side road going the wrong direction. You've got to repent of that and come back to Christ. There are those here tonight that uh, have, very, have become very accustomed to the traditions that we have. But there's not a closeness, a closeness to the riven, risen Christ. You know, as we, as we think about our text tonight and about what evil wants to do in and through us, we've got to fight back. We have got to fight back. We can't just stand idly by and say, well, seems like the crowd's going this way. Seems like the crowd's going that way. I'm not going to make a big ruckus. I'm just going to kind of go with the crowd. You know, if we do that, then we're moving farther and farther away from our risen Savior. If there's somebody in the house tonight that would like to trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, there would never be a better time than tonight to do it. If there's some folks here tonight that are living godly, wonderful Christian lives and you've been visiting with us and you'd like to place the spiritual gifts that you have to work here in this church, then certainly tonight the doors of the church are wide open and we want you to come and join with us and serve with us as we try and reach out not only to our immediate community but to our county, our state, our country, and with our missionaries really throughout the world. So if the Lord is leading you in any way tonight to take a stand for him, I'm going to stand right down here at the front, and you just slip out and slip forward and come and take a stand for Jesus who died for you. Let's stand together as we sing.